Welcome back to Boilers Extra. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, along with Mike Carmen from the Journal and Courier. Uh, still in the afterglow of the Chicago Bears' victory <laughs> over the Green Bay Packers and a NFC North championship. Uh, did not necessarily see this coming a couple months ago. but Oh, no. Heavens, no. Now, this is... I get very particular when I can't go to the games. Yes. Or I can't watch the games live. So I end up taping them and trying to avoid the final score or anything that's happening during during the game. Because you were covering a crazy Purdue crazy women's weird, basketball game against South got Carolina. Really odd. Really weird. Yeah. Really weird um, uh, late in that game. Here, gift wrapped. Take advantage. <laughs> no, don't take advantage. Okay. That's for another podcast, which will never happen. Uh, so I, I avoid all that. Right. And it's hard when you're at a sporting event to avoid other sporting events at times. Well, and just in the, this media age, you're always, I mean, we always set our phones, we get notifications about things we want to know about, and then all of a sudden, we don't want to know about that anymore, and our phones don't know that. Well, I, actually, yesterday I did turn off the NFL app on oh, my okay. phone, because I have it on my on my smartphone, and so I turned that off knowing that it would send me alert at the end of the Bears game. So anyway, I go I go through the women's game, which started at three. The Bears game started at one. So I avoid all that. And then after the women's game, uh, scheduled to go to a Christmas party at someone's house, <laughs> which they had the Sunday night game on. Uh-huh. And the only thing, this is true, the only thing I heard about NFL that day was, did the Patriots get beat? Did I hear that right? Someone said. And then someone answered, yes, they got beat by the Steelers. And that was it. Oh, okay. That's the last that I heard of the NFL. pretty impressive. So we were at the Christmas party for a couple hours. Then when I got my truck, I'm like, I'm home free. I think I am (laughs) because I'd already preset my radio to... Something else. Margaritaville on Jimmy (laughs) Buffett. So they were not giving sports scores on, on that channel. Right. So I got home. It was probably um, just before 10, and I sat down and turned on the DVR. I had no idea if the Bears had won or not. And my wife, who I think knew the final score, she asked, do you know the final score? I said, no. So then she just kept walking. <laughs> that's, and, a, that's a keeper. And that, that, <laughs> that was it. So I watched the whole game not knowing if they in had... Suspense. In suspense. Yeah, and it was it was like watching it live for me because I had no idea what's going to happen. Like, why are you calling a fake punt at midfield <laughs> type of thing? <laughs> it's like, you... Uh. And then they fumbled and all that stuff. But anyway, yeah. It was, and you get to watch it with no commercial. You get to zap right through the Zap right through it. It was probably... It was a pretty quick game, I, it looked like. Yeah. Um, so it, I got it done in about... Uh, uh, just over two hours. Now I, I watched some of the post game stuff, celebration type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, the, the actual game was about was about two hours. So this is my favorite taping a sporting event story. I'll tell it quickly. Um, I grew up in Central Illinois. My uh, my dad's a, a University of Illinois fan. You know, has been since he was younger. And uh, but he, whenever I was a kid, they'd be playing. You know, athletes in action or some some buy game or some exhibition and they'd get down like eight to two and he would get all in a huff and just like walk out of the room and uh, just somebody who couldn't like and then obviously they'd end up winning by 60 or whatever but he, he just a guy who would get frustrated by those things so um 
Illinois was playing whatever year it was, 2004, 2005. They had that epic yeah. Elite Eight game yeah. against Arizona where they were down by, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, down by a, a lot. A lot <laughs> with not much time left. And then had this epic comeback and go on to the Final Four and ultimately go to the National Championship game. So um, he decided, for whatever reason, before the game, that he was going to tape that game. And because he was there to watch the whole thing, which is kind of odd for him. But anyway, so he tapes a game and then they have that amazing comeback and everything. So then months later, like sometime in the summer or like fall, just on a random day, he's got nothing to do. He decides, well, I'm going to pop that in and watch it. Like it'd be nice to to relive that, that great performance. So he's watching, gets about, you know, four-fifths of the way through that game, and all of a sudden it just shuts off. And he remembers that he had gotten so mad while he was watching the game that he had shut off the VCR. And just so all he did was end up watching the worst parts of the game again and depriving himself of watching the, the fantastic finish. So um, congratulations, Dad. You get to be on the podcast this week. Um, I have years. one other short tape delay sporting event story. All right. This is many years ago, and those that know me, you know, I'm a, I, I follow Nebraska football. Mm-hmm. So back in the in the years in the mid in the mid '90s, there they were going after their, uh, I believe, the first national championship for Osborne. Well, it happened on the same night that uh, the women were playing at Butler. Uh, so I, I was, I was going to I taped the game. And this is old VCR tape. Right, this right. is not DVR. This is right. old VCR. This is the VCR tape. that I was talking about too. My yeah, parents. So I set it for whatever five hours, six hours, or or whatever. And it happened also to be a night where weather was horrible. So this is a night game. Starts at seven. The basketball women's basketball game. My whole plan was to cover the women's basketball game, avoid the score, mm-hmm. and then come back that night and watch it. Well, the combination of the game and then it's basically ice conditions driving back on I sixty five. I didn't get home till like two a.m. Mm. Like, am I going to watch it now? Or am I going to watch it in the morning? I'm going to watch it now. So I watched it the next three hours right. till about 5 a.m. Of course they won. Right. And <laughs> well, you don't want to take a chance. If you, you go to bed, you wake <laughs> yeah. up, you forget. You, right. This is back before the internet age. But. Right. But, yeah, so I was sitting there watching it, not knowing what happened and the whole suspense of it. So that's, that's one of my favorite tape delay stories that I have with sporting events. We'll be back to football in a second. We're going to talk about Purdue's upcoming oh, signing day. We're just not talking about tape delay sporting events. Huh? <laughs> that thus ends the tape delay sporting segment of of our podcast. Um, we're going to talk about Purdue's signing day, which comes up on uh, Wednesday. Um, but first, we want to talk about a game that Purdue fans probably wiped off their DVR pretty quickly, which was Purdue's eighty-eight eighty loss to Notre Dame in the Crossroads Classic over the weekend. It's that's now five losses out of seven games for the Boilermakers. They're six and five now. Uh, home games left against Ohio and Belmont. But by the way, Belmont won at UCLA this weekend and has been having a pretty solid season. And uh, with a, a, an Indianapolis kid named Dylan Windler, who's been good. Actually, I should say Perry Meridian, not, not Indianapolis proper. But uh, that game will come up next week. But we've come to a juncture of the season now for Purdue where they thought this five-game stretch after Thanksgiving was going to – show them some things. You know, they, they were going to be four games away from home out of the five, all of them against teams that at the as they were coming out of that Robert Morris game, all those teams' opponents were either ranked or getting votes, and they knew it was going to be a tough stretch, but thought that they would be able to show something that they hadn't yet shown on the road, that maybe what they had learned in the Florida State game and the Virginia Tech game, uh, that those would um, pay off for them, and instead um, – uh, none of that has come to fruition. 
Um, they're, they're, they're now looking at having gone through really the whole non-conference season and not won a game away from Mackey of any consequence. And while the, the Big Ten season still allows a lot of opportunities to go get some pretty impressive wins, it, you're also, with every loss, leaving yourself less and less margin for error to have a game like the Notre Dame game, for instance, which um, you know I know it ends up as an eight-point game. They had it down to six very late, but it was 15 points with under eight minutes to play. It was not an especially competitive game. I didn't think I wouldn't I wouldn't call that a, a narrow loss for Purdue because um, sometimes that'll happen when you when you've got a big lead and, and teams can kind of chip away at it. We've seen the opposite happen for Purdue too. Um, so right now, um, I think this, this is a team that that found out some things about itself over the past couple of weeks, and I don't think it probably liked what it found out in that span. No, this this team seems to. Um, I don't know if that's the right word for it. I, that's um, I I guess they're a little bit of a mystery in some respect, but also, is this who they are? I mean, have they played enough games that this is who they're going to be type of thing, especially when they get away from Mackey Arena? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you can't if you can't win a non conference game away from Mackey Arena, and it's not like they didn't. I mean, they they've gone out and tried. And right. they, they, well, they won a couple of neutral court games. They did know, they, down I mean, at down in South Carolina, right. but the Appalachian you, State and Davidson. But you're now you're talking about going on the road in the Big Ten at Michigan State, at Wisconsin, um, Ohio State, Indiana. I mean, just name them. That neutral court games really don't help you a whole lot in that situation. Um, and the fact that they've that I, I really th- feel they could have completely changed the narrative of their season. In one of two ways, either win that Virginia Tech game or close out the the Florida State game, mm-hmm. and you don't, or or the Texas game, yeah, you Texas right too. too. But I, you, probably if you close out Florida State, you probably close out Texas, yeah. and maybe that's what it's going to take for them to to point them in the right direction is close out a close game on the road. I mean, they closed out a close game against Maryland at home, mm-hmm. but. In, with the Big Ten, you have to do it on the road in the conference against somebody not named Rutgers. Yeah, I, I misspoke earlier. They hadn't played Florida State at the start of this five-game stretch. Obviously, that was the first game of that stretch. Um, and I, I, on one hand, even going into Saturday, I thought, okay, this is still a team that has clearly shown the talent. It's They've just been too inconsistent. They play with too much volatility. There are things that will will be there one night and they're not there the next night and they can't they they don't have enough to just kind of keep playing the shell game and and turning that into a win somehow it always just kind of keeps costing them a loss down the stretch i think what struck me about saturday is how much it felt like a regression you were going into a it wasn't a road game it was a neutral court it was against a team that is okay had come off of a couple of close losses against good teams itself but also wasn't necessarily beating anyone of consequence and has been dealing with injury issues, and that that's getting even worse for them after Saturday. Um, and yet, Purdue, it just really felt like hadn't learned anything really from the Texas game. A lot of the same defensive lapses were costing them again as far as letting a team um, you know, penetrate into the defense too much and how that opened up the perimeter shooting for a team that was not a good perimeter shooting team, or at least on paper had not shown that it was a good perimeter shooting team. 
still long stretches of offense where, um, yeah, shots aren't falling that in some cases for guys that, that normally fall, but you can still tell such a difference between when this team really moves the ball and when this team takes quick shots. It just it that is not going to be outside of maybe for Carson Edwards under the right circumstances. That's not going to be a formula for success for this team offensively, and the the defensive problems are really kind of exasperating the offensive problems, I think. This is a team that is still, I think, you go back to the very first possessions of this game, you'll see a team that that is disruptive and makes some plays on defense and seemed to be doing what it wanted to do and was supposed to do. You saw a team that was moving the ball and getting it inside, getting Matt Harm some looks and those sorts of things, things they had been talking about in mass. Like everybody on that that I talked to after practice on Thursday was talking about getting the ball inside. And then some shots start clanging off the rim. Some shots don't fall. And it seemed like everything just unravels from there. And, and before you know it, Notre Dame, um, which was ecstatic after the game about the way that it moved the ball and the way that it efficiently ran its offense, they are able to take control of the game. Um, and now I, I, you even start to, as I look back on it, you can look at that Maryland game. Okay. They, they defended really well down the stretch at home with the crowd at their back, but how much of that was, their defensive, you know, performance and how much of it was was Maryland's own offensive issues because I think they had some, but th- that's the one thing they have kind of to hang their hat on now in in a pretty long stretch, um, and it, it really it, it really puts a lot of urgency on these next two games. You know, Ohio is a, a okay MAC program as most MAC programs are, <laughs> other than than Buffalo. I would say that you know maybe they're in the same caliber as Ball State, a team that Purdue beat pretty handily at home um and then you like i said you've got belmont coming in who can who can put up a lot of points just one at ucla um this is a a really urgent period for them i think you've got to finish this stretch with two wins and just not only just take care of business at home and and, and kind of protect the one thing they have going for their ncaa resume right now is no bad losses so you've got to keep that in the right column but then also just just get some momentum going and something positive going into what is going to be a really tough Big Ten stretch, as you mentioned, um, how, how tough it's going to be once the and, and how much you're going to have to win on the road. There's seven ranked Big Ten teams. Purdue played one of them on the road already. That was Michigan. They don't play Iowa, but then they still have road games against those next five teams. Um, and and that doesn't even count the other pretty decent teams in the Big Ten that aren't ranked right now. Well, and you're not even counting Iowa coming in here. Right. I mean, and Iowa has, you know, they, they were off to a really great start, kind of dropped off a little bit. But, you know, it's a team that can outscore you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody that can outscore Purdue right now uh, because they're just not playing very well defensively. Right. You know, I, I probably picture Iowa a little bit to Notre Dame. They're going to be good perimeter shooters. They're going to put the ball up. But they, they've even – Based on what I've read, they've even improved defensively. By right. their, by the, now they had they they, they had a lot of they had a long, <laughs> had a long way, way to go. A long way to go. Right. But they even even they're admitting they're better defensively than they were uh, a year ago. And you know, listening to you talk and what you've written, teams that are that that play good defense against Purdue, you know, are really going to limit because they just don't have the threats on the floor that they used to. So I guess the question is, what does Painter do? Is there, there's some different lineups that he has to go with? Do younger guys need to get more minutes? I mean, what, and, and do those things have to happen 
in these next two games to get them ready or get them in a position to to try to compete in the Big Ten. I don't know how much of it is something that Matt Painter can do right now. I know that that's what he's paid to do. I know that he's and people then expect him to just be able to kind of snap his fingers and have something magic happen. Um, but I really think this is on some individual guys having to step up and play to the level that is expected of them. I don't think Carson Edwards is playing especially well defensively right now. I don't think Ryan Klein is playing especially well defensively right now. I think they'd probably both say that. I know that fans are um, eager for someone to push Grady Eifert out of the starting lineup, but replace him with who? Well, he's your he's <laughs> arguably your best rebounder right now. Um, he's just such a reliable guy in those facets. I don't really when I watch games, I don't really see him being the one who's getting eaten on these defensive lapses, at least not with more frequency than anybody else. Um, but there's some guys, you know, Matt Harms only played 11 minutes against Notre Dame. I think there was a reason for that. There's a reason why Trevor and Williams got such an extended run late in the game. I mean, yeah, he was in there getting a spark at a time where, as we said, sometimes what happens in a game where it's that lopsided that late, I, I don't want to put too much stock in that, but he clearly did come in and bring some energy and more than that, just brought some production. He finished off his shots around the rim in a way that they weren't doing it earlier in the game. Um, I think there's some some older guys on this team, guys who were expected to just ascend into that next level that, that aren't getting it done right now. Uh, at the same time, we do have to remember that this was a, a tough schedule. They've played one of the toughest schedules in the country. And that's sort of the conundrum right now. And I wrote about this earlier this week, especially when you're a young team. How do you really assess yourself? Because you're right there against Florida State, one of the best teams in the country, right there against Virginia Tech, who's really good, right there against uh, on the road at Texas, um, but not finishing off any of those, doing a lot of good things, but not being rewarded with a win. And I, I think that's another reason why they need a couple wins here, just because I, I worry that now if a team like Purdue that that's this young and that I don't necessarily think has that on court leadership that it needs right now. You get another, an unexpected loss, a loss. Like if you lose to Ohio on Thursday, what does that do just kind of for this team's psyche and, and confidence right now? Well, it'll, it'll, it'll damage that, but also just put them in a horrible position when it comes to the NCAA tournament mm -hmm. where you're, you're playing catch up while they don't have technically a bad loss right now. They're still getting a lot of losses, and at right. some point, they're uh, not accumulating good wins. No, and when you uh, at some point you have too many losses, right? You, you you could lose you could lose twelve games in a season, all of them the top twenty five teams, but at the end of the day, right. it's just too many losses. Right. And if you don't have anything, I mean, go ask Nebraska and Penn State last yeah. year. When you don't, act, you can play a lot of good teams, and I know the Big Ten was down, quote unquote, last year. But when you don't actually beat any of the good teams then you've established yourself as being the next rung down right and especially in the non-conference because these are games some most of these games are ones that you've scheduled on your own right. and and matt did it for a reason and but you do you know but it's, it's kind of too late you've had you missed that opportunity now you have to make that up somewhere but the one thing i was going to say is you can't this is a team this year i don't believe where you can hide anybody Last year, you could hide a Grady Eifert because of what you had around him. You could you could hide certain players. Right. Ryan Klein could just could be your spot up three point shooter without having to do a lot of other things. Right. You could hide guys like that. This is a team, at least based on my limited viewing and knowledge, you can't hide anybody. 
I mean, right. you just no, can't. Every, everybody that gets on the floor has to do something. I mean, and some of the guys are not even being guarded, I, I, I would guess, or not being paid attention to because you're, you're, you're dealing with Carson Edwards and maybe some other guys. And the other thing is, you know, Matt Harms had a really good year last year because of Isaac Haas. Isaac Haas wore down the, right. the, the team's top center. Right. And then Matt Harms comes in and either gets a, a, a tired center or the number two center. Now he's having to do it against the top big man on each team. Right. And then you then you have to pose the question. It's like, okay, can he do this? Right. Can he do it? And you may not know that until another year or, or two. But, yeah, I mean, they're, just, they're, they're in a spot right now where they – they probably just need a pick me up from somebody other than Carson Edwards to do something and carry them through a stretch to only build that guy's confidence, but the whole team's confidence. Cause I, I would imagine there's a lot of just standing around waiting for Carson to shoot or Carson I to save today. Crucial moments that that is happening. And you can definitely, you know, we knew that this offense was going to have to adjust because they don't have a presence like Haas. That's going to command a double team every single possession and is always opening someone up on the perimeter. Um, now teams can, I, I, Notre Dame actually played some zone on Saturday for reasons passing understanding, but <laughs> they, I don't know why, but if, it, 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 you know, it's just going to be, you're going to get that man to man with, without any real double teams. And you know, now everybody on that offense, Carson Edwards included is having to adjust to that. And I don't feel like they've done it. It's really, it's just a matter of consistency. You'll have stretches where they play great. But they can't do it for forty minutes away from Mac Arena. At least they haven't proven it yet. And Car- um, I mean, Carson needs help. I mean, he, yeah, he's he's a high volume shooter, and he just. I mean, he needs some help. And but he, I don't. I just don't think at this pace, the number, you know, the number of shots he's taken, and also the type of shots he's taken, that's going to be a sustainable plan for them once they get in the Big Ten. Because as you know, and everybody knows, you get in the Big Ten. It, it changes. It, it really, really changes how teams defend you and what they throw at you. Right. And, and granted, this team should have gained some experience through especially this last stretch of how teams are going to play them. But at some point, you do have to apply that lesson. And, and the way the schedule is setting up once they get into Big Ten play, they can't, they can't afford a, a slow start in January or – then you're just trying to hang on, try to make any postseason tournament at that point. Yeah. You know, and people have brought up, you know, why is Purdue playing this tough of a schedule? Well, really, other than the Texas game, that's the only one that they schedule that makes this tough. And really, the schedule itself is not any tougher than last year's was. That's what they should be doing anyway. Right. Regardless of their age, their leadership, their experience, this this is the type of schedule they should be playing. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the, the Virginia Tech game is comes from the the ACC Big Ten, or I'm sorry, from that that was in the the Virginia Tech game was uh, from the exempt tournament, which right. you're always in. You're always going to see at least one team like that. Last year's it, this year's field there at, at Charleston was nothing compared to last year when you know, I mean, and even the teams that were the disappointing losses that Purdue had. You know, Western Kentucky is a is a decent program, and look at where Tennessee is right now with that same nucleus that beat. Purdue last year in the Bahamas. I mean, that was a really, really tough field where you're playing Arizona in the the the, the eighth place, seventh place game. Um, so, so that game, that was the game they hoped they would get out of that. If they hadn't played Florida State or Virginia Tech there for the championship, it would have been a disappointment, kind of, for that trip. 
um, either them not advancing or Florida State not advancing or Virginia Tech not advancing because that's what they wanted. Then the Florida State game, you're always going to get somebody in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I mean, the, I thought Florida State was who they should get paired up. That's the that's the level of Big Ten ACC teams they are. I mean, you know, Purdue fans keep clamoring like, "Hey, when do you, um, you know, when do we, when are we going to get Duke or North Carolina or whatever?" And I'm like. Well, uh, you beat, better be beat Florida State first. first. <laughs> um, you know, the Michigan-Maryland thing, uh, having to go at Michigan, that was a, kind of a bad draw to open the Big Ten season there with a quick turnaround after that Florida State trip. I understand that. But this Big Ten schedule, you know, the, the, and, and then, well, before I get to that, then, then you got the at Texas, and that's the one that they picked. That's the one that they chose to take on. But for natural reasons. for na- Yeah, because you don't get this many opportunities to play – a home and home with a power five like this. And plus, they know, you're taking Carson Edwards home. You, you yeah. that, that was a that was yeah. an added benefit yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, you know, next year they will be home for the ACC Big Ten, but they'll be at uh, Gavit and I uh, away for a Gavit games. I don't know. I can't remember who else is in the field for the the tournament that they're in in Florida, but it's kind of a typical. So I mean, they're going to have you know, except they'll get Texas at home, so that'll be the one advantage there. And if they play Texas at home. That they had a better shot to beat them this year, and then the Notre Dame game, that's not even bad luck of the draw. There, that's that's that was the positive luck of the draw. That's the most quote unquote beatable of the other three teams that you could have, or two teams you could have gotten the Crossroads Classic. I don't think right. Notre Dame's better than Butler. I don't think they're better than IU, who you wouldn't been playing. But I'm just saying, like that's the schedule really isn't that bad. It's just a matter that they haven't won any of those games. Well, the schedule's not the reason they're sitting at six or. Is it six and five? Six and five, right. Yeah, I mean, the schedule, yes, the schedule does play a reason why they're six and five, but this is something that's going to happen every year. I mean, this you have you have less non-conference games now with 20 Big Ten games, and the emphasis on playing a good schedule is there. It's real. And Matt Painter's all in and on that. Right. I mean, here's a guy that wanted to play 20 Big Ten games. He right. wants to play IU twice. So he, he's in on this. I mean, there's a, there's a balance there, but – yeah, you got Ohio coming in, which would seem like a good guarantee game to get your guys back and going. But then, surprise, Belmont's, what, 9-1? Right. Coming off the win at UCLA? Right. The guy down there has run a great program for years, yeah. and they're going to come in here thinking that they can they can beat Purdue, and this may be a year that they, they do that. But the schedule, this is, you know, it's interesting. Fans... Well, then we need a. You know, they need to play a better schedule, or we need to see better teams. Okay, well, he's doing it, right? And this is part of it. And it's just this is the year where you you're coming off losing four seniors, and you you're trying to replace a lot. And there's there's obviously some some big time growing growing pains going on, but the end result you won't know until you get into January and into February to see how much this is going to pay off. And there are some other programs who would not have done this. I, I will say that. There are some other programs who, knowing that they were going to 20 games, would have not signed the contract for that Texas home-and-home home probably. But Matt Painter was up front and said, we're going to use this as an opportunity to cut those sub-300 games, those uh, RPI, Ken Palm, whatever, get those get the, the sisters of the poor off of our schedule because – a win, the 289th ranked Ken Palm Robert Morris game I'm looking at right now, that win does the same thing to your schedule that losing at Michigan does as far as your NCAA resume. It means nothing. 
it literally means nothing. That game might as well not have happened. It does not matter. And if it does anything, it hurts you. Potentially, yeah, yeah. because exactly because it, it there's the the thing that I think bothers this team talking about the Purdue players and coaches as they look at this six and five right now is the thing that irks you is the opportunity cost here. You had the opportunity not just because the games are on your schedule, but because the way those games are unfolding, you had the opportunity. I mean, a win at Florida State right now, if Purdue were seven and four with that win at Florida State, look at how much that changes the complexion of what you think of them right now. Well, instead of being one and four, just think if you're two and three. Right. Or best case scenario, if you're three and two. Right. If you're three and two out of this stretch, you're you're singing hallelujah, you know, this team is ready to to tackle the Big Ten. Right. Now you're one and four and it's it's a bit doom and gloom. They have to bring themselves out of it. And I guess the question is, can they? Do they have the pieces in place right now to bring themselves out of it and get ready for the Big Ten and make and make a run in the Big Ten and be able to hold up for the next uh, two and a half months. And one last thing about the schedule. Let's say you had gotten a different opponent. Instead of going at Michigan, let's say you got to go to a lesser quote-unquote team in the Big Ten, which this year it's it's pretty tough all the way down. Let's say you were at Rutgers or at Illinois or whatever, and you're able to win that. Okay, well, to me, in my head, that still means you're 7-4, and four, but with one loss waiting. Coming, coming up. <laughs> one loss on layoff. <laughs> or layaway or whatever right, that yeah. you're going to get eventually because Michigan's really good. And I, not a lot of people, if anybody are going to go up there and win this year. So um, the, it gets to kind of quickly wrap this up. Now let's say they win be these last two games, not gimme games. I don't think by any means, but let's say you win both of these two games. Now you're eight and five. And now you split the remaining 18 games in the big 10. So now you, that's actually not a bad scenario to think about for this team that they could, if they could split, if they could get nine wins out of 18 in the way this big 10 is with those five tough road games, um, that you're, you're very much a bubble team. Even if you win 10 and that, and that would put you at 11 and, and nine overall, that alone might be enough to get you in just because of how tough the big 10 is this year. But this, this is definitely setting up to be the first year in four years where Purdue is on the bubble from here to March. Well, I, I think you at that point you have to see where those nine or ten wins come from, or where those those seven or eight or nine losses come from. Right. Are you getting any road wins in the Big Ten? If if they don't get any road wins in the Big Ten, they're not they're not getting in. Right. I, that that's I think the committee has made that clear that they value road games both out of conference and in conference. They they value road wins. Uh, so they have to make up ground on the road, in my opinion, because they haven't they haven't done it yet, other than the two games in, in South Carolina. And those those count, yes, they count, but not at the level that a win at Florida State would have counted or a win at Texas would have counted because there's more emphasis on that. So, I mean, it's hard to say, well, if they go 10-8 and eight or 11-7, and seven, that they'll get in. I, I think it's a matter of how, how it unfolds. In my, I mean, I, I just don't. That, that's yeah. a that's a fair point. Yeah, and at some point you just have too many losses. I mean, let's face it. I mean, once you get into double digit losses uh, for the season, and then you creep up to eleven, twelve, possibly thirteen, you you put yourself right on the bubble. And not that the number of losses is a criteria for the committee, but the other the other part too is how how will they be playing when you get to February? Right. You know, they're going to have to be playing their best basketball in February and then there'll probably come a point in the season where they just can't afford 
another loss. And they're going to have to, whether that's to stay above 500 in the league or, or something else, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to make up some ground, I think in early January and then hit that stride in February where they are, you're winning seven of eight or six of eight going into the big 10 tournament. Well, Purdue, I just checked, they dropped from 28th to the 37th in the NCAA's net ranking, which is what's taken the place of RPI. The team right behind them at 38, Iowa. But one's going one direction, one's going <laughs> the other direction. And it, it, still, it, it tells you that one of the reasons why Matt Painter wanted a 20-game schedule and why a lot of the coaches want a 20-game schedule was because of what it meant for the conference as a whole. You want the teams – if a team like Purdue doesn't get in the NCAA tournament, you want – the teams that missed the NCAA tournament to have been really good teams. If you're going seven, eight deep and still leaving good teams out of the NCAA tournament, because they see other conferences where that has happened. And um, you could argue that it happened last year, even in the big 10 with, with Nebraska and Penn state getting left out the way they did, but they, they want it to be more of a definable thing. And that, that's, that's sort of what's happening here. Unfortunately, ironically for Purdue, uh, unless they again can kind of, the other thing is this is still, a young team. This is still a team that has growth ahead of it. Um, but you also wonder, you know, you're also going to have just one of those nights. You haven't had any injury problems yet. Those are things that always seem to, to pop up at some point a year for every team. Um, and last year, you know, when, when Vince Edwards hurt his ankle, Grady Eifert could come in and he was just one small part of a pretty talented group. Whereas you this could year, hide him. You could hide him. You know, he didn't, you know, Matt Painter was talking about that coming into the season about how he's still, how less is more with players like him. I thought that was true in that scenario. Less was more when there was so much more at the other four spots. (laughs) This year, you just don't have that same level of um, skill at the other, at, at all the other spots. It's just, it's. It's it's not really a knock on them. They're still good basketball players, but it has dropped, and you can't hide someone. You, less less can sometimes be less. So, um, well, we we will keep an eye on that going into the new year. Uh, but like I said, coming up on Wednesday, uh, National Signing Day, as it's called, the first day of the the early the, signing the period. early signing period for football. Purdue bringing in a class um, of, I guess, a full capacity class. So it's only at twenty four right now. Yeah, they're they're sitting at twenty four commitments uh, right now. Uh, there's there's a spot reserved, <laughs> or there's a spot open as of this point. Well, if you, you uh, we'll have to check your forty time <laughs> and your uh, uh, in your squat. My forty foot time, <laughs> yes, is pretty good. We'll have to check your squat, and if you if you can't get the Rondell Moore squat range, then Oof. we're not offering a scholarship. In, in how many <laughs> in how many attempts? Like how many cumulative squats do I get and, to equate? And how many people are helping you do it? <laughs> but like I can do like ten pounds at a time, like sixty times over a couple of days, and get up to a couple of days. Yeah. How about a couple months? <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's. There's kind of a hard cap now with signing, and there's still a lot of moving parts with the whole football signing thing as far as guys you're counting on the last year's class as opposed to counting on the, the, the upcoming year class. And the, it's, a, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge number, numbers game uh, within every program. And they usually keep that information pretty, pretty tight-lipped for, for a variety of reasons just because to get the guys that they want – and some other factors there as far as applying, like Purdue's going to have some early enrollees in January. Well, those, I think, might go backward 
hmm. as far as applying to 2018 as opposed to, to 2019. And, you know, just because players are leaving the program and there have been, you know, two or three so far, doesn't mean that you get to add two or three. Right. So, I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts with this. Some of it I don't truly understand. So, Forgive me for not. Well, some of not, it's new. I mean, some of, some of it is new. new, and some of it is just so. It's a lot of minutia and a lot of, you know, just how you interpret the the rules and stuff like that. But as of as of today, they're they're scheduled to sign um, twenty four players, uh, you know, on Wednesday in the early signing period. And there's another signing period coming up in February. They where they hope to add at least at least one more uh, that they've they've kind of set aside a spot. Uh, for but you know most of the guys that that we know about have been committed for a long time. I think right. last year at this time there were there was a lot still a lot of moving parts with guys where some guys maybe didn't make it academically and therefore they went other places and Purdue was able to fill out uh, the class that way. But well, these, and you also had a coaching staff that was reassessing right. who had been committed and whether they were going to fit with what they wanted. Right, and most of these guys have been you know committed for months. You know, you can go back to, you know, George Karloftis. He was the first guy to commit, and that was in uh, 2017. <laughs> you know, it seems like forever ago yeah. that uh, he made he made his announcement uh, after a, one of his high school football games. Uh, but that kind of got the ball rolling a little bit too with with some other guys, and I think I think his commitment um, was was big for Purdue just because it's a local kid. Uh, and he's a talented local kid. He's highly regarded uh, player, not only in the state but in the country. He's he was a guy that that was recruited and offered scholarships by, you know, you name him. And you know, Michigan didn't back off. Michigan wanted him, you know, badly. But there's other programs: USC, Florida, Alabama. You can go down the list of of all the big time programs that that wanted him in there. And when he committed, it it sent another signal about okay. Purdue, Purdue serious, and they're gonna they're gonna do what they can. And it was almost a must have for Purdue in some ways because if you don't get him, some of these other probably some of these other players don't fall into place. But I think it sent a message that George was serious about Purdue, and therefore Purdue was taking you know this recruiting game up to another level. And I think it it, it showed other players that ended up committing in this class how how serious um, you know Brom and this staff are about you know getting getting high level guys in here you know last year at this time we would have been previewing signing day and the big prize was still out there in Rondell Moore that had not come to fruition that wouldn't come to fruition for another couple of weeks and at the time I, I think we kind of said you know this is sort of a as with any coaching change there's a bit of a scramble you're trying to keep the best guys from the that the previous administration had brought in you're trying to pull in some of your own guys which they did some guys they knew but we were looking ahead a year saying what's this going to look like a year later when they've had a chance to really you know dig their um, feet in or whatever and 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 put together the kind of class that they really want put their wrinkle on on a class their identity on on a signing class have you do you see ways that that's a little bit more established this year either in terms of um, the type of athlete they're getting, the quantities that they're getting at certain positions, the kind of players they're going after, any, anything, any trends like that? Well, they're, they're going after high-level players, preferably in the Midwest area. 
Um, yes, they have some guys from Texas and some other places, but you know, most of their guys are coming from the Midwest you know, they got a couple guys in Tennessee and, and things like that. But you, you know, if you look at the list, you got Michigan, you got Ohio, um, you know, as we mentioned, Texas, uh, you know, Indiana, obviously. So they've, they've really, you know, Jeff, Jeff said when he got here, it was about, you know, the 300 mile footprint, mm-hmm. you know, from, from campus and really concentrate, uh, their efforts on there. And, uh, you know, they've, they've gotten a guy out of Louisville again, you know, Milton Wright, the, the, the big, uh, big ride receiver who will really help complement Rondell Moore, uh, next year, assuming he can get on the field, which I think that is the plan for him, uh, to get on the field. So, um, you know, I, I think they're staying true to what they said when they, when they came here, as far as recruiting local and, and the area and that, that is paying off, but also recognizing that they do, they have to go some other places where, um, where you just have to be. I mean, you, you do have to just based on population, you have to get to Florida, you have to get to Texas, you have to get to some of these bigger places just because that's, that's where a bulk of the players are. But, um, but so far I think they've stayed pretty true to, to what they've done. They, I, I just think they've upgraded the talent and they had uh, a lot of their commitments uh, were on campus last weekend and, we had a chance to watch practice, and when the a lot of the commitments uh, came through the 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 Bolinkoff Center, they're just bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's bigger guys, mm-hmm. and uh, now that needs to translate onto the field with athleticism and other things. But they they've they they've identified just bigger bigger guys and taller guys at at certain positions where you know in the past everyone was a bit undersized and even. Some of the guys that are playing now, that are that are juniors and seniors, would be quote undersized guys at their positions. Mm-hmm. Where now I think they're getting a little, a lot of more players that are a bit ready made uh, to 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 step in at, at certain positions and and play a role, you know, as as soon as possible. Any like position group that that stands out to you from this group is as or or and and, and people who can maybe help right away. Well, I, you know, I think you, as far as guys that that probably they look at that can help right away. One of them would be George Karloftis. Mm-hmm. I think these, the plan is for him to get on the field as soon as possible, uh, play that defensive end spot, and then therefore you're moving uh, Giovanni Rivera inside. You're moving some other guys inside, uh, and not that George is going to play every snap, but it give it gives you some flexibility and uh, some versatility uh, along the front where you have a bunch of guys coming back next year. Um, so he's, he's one guy that I think, uh, will, the plan will be to get him on the field as soon as possible. Um, you know, they got a couple safeties from the Michigan area, Detroit. And I think one of those guys, either Jalen Graham or Marvin Grant will have a shot uh, because you're losing Jacob Thieneman and you know how the whole secondary then plays out. Uh, I, you know, I think one of, one of those two guys or both those guys will have a shot to, uh, to, to get on the field early and, and, and make an impact. And anybody that enrolls early, George is going to be one of those guys who rolled early. And there's an offensive lineman from Michigan, uh, Spencer Hostedge. I think that's his, how he say his name. But it'd be hard for him to play just because offensive linemen just don't come in and play unless like, you're like typically a, redshirt. Unless you're just a, the top five-star guy in the, right. Orlando <laughs> in, Pace. In, in the country and you just, okay, there's your spot. Right. But you don't have to be a five-star guy to play immediately in the Big Ten, as Central Catholic's Coy Cronk proved. He was right. a step-in guy immediately at IU, 
should have been a stepping guy at Purdue, <laughs> but uh, we'll leave that story for another <laughs> another podcast. And a guy like Milton Wright, the receiver from Louisville, is going to be a guy that I would think would get a lot of looks early to see what he can do. And a lot of this is just grasping the offense and grasping what what's needed. Um, you know, you're going to have veteran guys that are already ahead of you with some of these freshmen because of the system. You'd be going into year three with Jeff Brom and – you know, talking to Elijah Sindelar last week, it was he didn't he didn't want Brom to leave for a lot of reasons, but the other one, and he didn't want to learn a new offense. He feels like he has the offense down, and you know I think that's going to be the case with a lot of guys and guys coming in trying to learn that offense and learn everything about it. I think is going to be difficult, but if you have the talent, which I think Milton Wright does, he's a guy that I think can can get on the field uh, early. The guy we were sort of coyly referring to before, David Bell from Warren Central, is the other guy that's hanging out there. Um, Purdue, one of the finalists for him, he's supposed to announce in early January. Yeah, he'll do what Rondell did last year yeah, and announce it. at the have have the whole hat parade at the All American <laughs> Bowl. Yeah, uh, and you know, I just you know, there's there's just a lot of signs that you know Purdue's going to be the one for him, but until they actually do it, right. and then. You have to wait another month for him to actually sign his letter of intent. Right, right. So the recruiting process doesn't really stop at that point. But usually, you know, I, I think they were comfortable when Rondell did it last year. And I think if if David Bell goes in that direction, I think whoever David Bell announces at the All American Bowl is going to be his school. I mean, that's just going to be the the bottom line. But then you start thinking he would be a guy that if he comes to Purdue is going to play early. And there will be a need for him to play early because you're losing two outside receivers and Terry Wright and Isaac Zico. You you do have Jared Sparks uh, coming back, and you have some other guys uh, in the receiver room that will get an opportunity. But they're similar. um, When you look at Milton Wright and potentially David Bell, they're they're two guys that are are plug-and-play guys, in my opinion, where they're going to get every every opportunity to come in and and play – as much as they can, uh, because that's that's kind of been part of Jeff Brom's selling to recruits is come in and play and make an impact. You don't have to stand, you don't have to sit behind anybody. Just come in and play. That's why he didn't really like the new redshirt rule because he was out promising mm-hmm. early playing time. Right? I guess I shouldn't use the word promise, but selling early playing time to to players uh, where other programs might be saying, "Oh, well, well." We're going to redshirt you that first year because of we have these three players mm-hmm. uh, ahead of you, and uh, now every school can kind of experiment with that. It's where Purdue was one of a lot of schools that were in a unique position. But um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be interesting once this class gets filled out, and then once they get here to see who actually can get on the field. Because I thought I thought last year a lot of the defensive backs that they signed we would see at some point during the season. And I don't think I don't think I did. No, no I don't <laughs> Other than Corey really Trice playing right. against Minnesota. Right. Uh and he was he was banged up earlier in camp and stuff like that. But I, I really thought we would see more of those guys um this year and and, and we did and part of that could bend this the play of guys like Antonio Blackman, uh, you know, Kason and those guys or the, the freshmen just were not ready to, to play in their in their opinion. Right. I, I do think it's a positive thing for this program to start 
signing you know high caliber guys to the back of this defense and I don't want to take anything away from people like you know Joe Thieneman and and um and the or Jacob Thieneman I should say and uh, the other walk-on safeties who turned themselves into good players here but I think that's a positive because it's not something that this program has done for a while really is it bring in people at the and and been able to rely on them for multiple years necessarily at the at the back of the secondary it's happened sporadically but it seems like every year that's one of the big question marks and they they could really use some stability back there um this is a program that if you look at the the 24 7 composite they've been right around that number 25 spot for this recruiting class and i never like to make too much of that but i i do wonder just as a program that's trying to build momentum to, to build a brand, to, to get its name out there, how much cachet you think that has if you can get in that top 25, and then especially, obviously, the, the David Bell potential commitment signing, whatever, could push that a little bit higher, make it a, a more more solidified, I guess, in that top 25. But what what does that really mean, potentially, as you're trying to as they're trying to build things here at Purdue? Well, it's, it's a qualifier to what this class is, how, it, how it's viewed, right now and you can have all the asterisks you want with uh well they haven't done anything yet they you know you, the best way to judge a class is after three well, or, three or four years all the, that kind of thing yeah, but the, this the is only how, way to judge recruiting is wins and losses right. it's literally the only way to do it right but this something like this and it has already created the buzz that you want in recruiting where Purdue's name is out there so when families and uh, high school coaches and you know whomever you know they're looking at all these rankings and People put stock in them. They put value in them. And even Purdue puts value in them because Mike Wilminski put a clause in Jeff Brom's contract to say if you sign a top 25 class by whoever is ranking these classes, and he, he put several options in there, then you get a bonus. Mm-hmm. So the motivation is coming from the top of the university or the top of the athletic department to say, go out and do this. And I remember asking Mike Wilminski about it. I go, this is a neighborhood that – Purdue traditionally does not live in when it comes to football. He goes, well, maybe this should be a neighborhood that Purdue <laughs> lives well, in. I mean, look at the results. I mean, right, right. I mean, but this is this, new. Yeah, but this is the first. This is the first evidence of the of these results. And Jeff Brom didn't do it to go get a bonus. He did it because it's going to improve his football. Games, yeah, right. he wants. I mean, unless he's he's stacking away his. Uh, Top twenty-five bonus to for for uh, car maintenance on the Honda Accord, which will probably need some new tires at some point. And things upgrade like that. to an 05 Accord. <laughs> no, no, no. Days. Just maybe a new paint job, or, oh, okay. or maybe get the passenger door side fixed. I think just you could a, do just that. Get some detailing done. Yeah, some <laughs> <laughs> put some stickers on it. Uh, but this is the first sign of that, and what he's what he and his staff, and I think he give credit to their director of player personnel, uh, Eron Hodges. Uh, who, who's been with the program for a little bit less than a year, uh, just as far as getting Purdue's name out there and a lot of things they do now on social media, uh, you know, ha- has put them in a favorable light with recruits. And you know, and Jeff will always go back and say that his association with Tennessee and maybe a little bit with Louisville has opened the door for uh, a lot of people. And and, and Rondo Moore's impact on recruiting isn't really taking uh, isn't taking effect in the 19 class as much because right. a lot of these guys were committed. Right. If anything, it maybe reassures them that they've made the right choice because, oh, a guy like Rondell can go do what he did. You know, maybe I can do the same thing. But I also think that um, what Rondell Moore 
has done this year and the the level that he has put Purdue on uh, has probably will get them in more homes and schools for 2020, 2021, and beyond. Uh, and I think that's where they could potentially back up this class with another top 25 class uh, coming up based on just Rondell Moore alone getting them in homes. But at some point that, that hits a ceiling because – not everybody can come in and play at that right. point. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, at some point you will take, they'll, they'll take a step back from a ranking standpoint, uh, especially at certain positions because they're not going to see that early playing time right. there because there's already, there's already play- a really good sophomore there. Do you want to come in and wait for two years? Right. And, and the way the way the players are nowadays, it's, it's, you know, they're looking to play early, especially at those skill positions and, they feel, and I, you know, and I do, I do firmly believe that players are more ready at the skill positions to step in and play immediately than, than the last five to ten years because I think of a lot of the off-season training they do with their personal trainers, the way they're being coached at the high school level. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that to make them more ready to play once they get on campus. Well, we'll see how that turns out. Come back to jconline.com uh, later this week, maybe as early as tomorrow. Uh, we'll have some some things up there previewing this class. Actually, I think there already is a list on our, our site and uh, links to all the previous reporting we've done on, on the players of this class. So um, follow along for that. Um, follow along for me. I'll keep uh, plowing along on Purdue men's basketball this week. They've got a game Thursday against Ohio. And come back next week. Even though it's the holidays, we will have a pre-Music City Bowl podcast uh, uh, edition of Boilers Extra. We didn't even talk about the bowl game, but we will get to that. Um, so probably Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, you can wake up and um, open your presents and then lay back and listen to Boilers Extra on your brand new handheld device or whatever you use to listen to us each week. Or if you need to escape grandma kissing you on the cheek. Sure. Uh, just tell her you're going to go in the back and listen to a podcast. Yeah, she won't know what that is, and uh, <laughs> it'll be real confusing. And uh, hopefully confuse her for about, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour. It's enough time for you to listen. So um, uh, come to jconline.com. Find us on all of your uh, various places where we have podcasts. You can rate us, review us, uh, send us comments, share them around. We really appreciate it. So uh, thanks again. And we'll be back next week on Boilers Extra.